As preparing for this sermon, I heard a story from a preacher that went something like this. A church inscribed the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 on the outside wall of the historic downtown building. Those words read, we preach Christ crucified. Over time, Ivy grew up along the walls and obscured the last word in that statement. So only the words, we preach Christ, were visible. Ivy continued to grow up that wall until the next to last word was covered. So that those who were passing by could only see the words, we preach. Saints, that is a sad example of the contemporary church today. Today, many preachers will preach a message that might inspire, that might convict, that might even challenge the congregation. But it's not the emotional response that the congregation needs. But it's the content of the message that the congregation needs. And that content of the message varies from church to church. It varies from preacher to preacher. In order for the church, in order for the church to keep their congregation happy, uh, sermons nowadays are more creative than biblical. The preacher is more dynamic rather than theologically sound. Churches look to the world for their influence and ideas over asking how has God prescribed in his word for us to worship him. Saints, what divides a biblical and healthy and theologically sound church from others? What is the dividing line from a good theologically sound church from another? One can point to how one church administers the ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. One can point to how the church does discipleship and evangelism. And we can go on and on and define what a true and healthy church is and what it looks like. But ultimately, what divides a biblical and theologically sound church is this one question. Does the church accurately preach Christ crucified. That is what divides a true church from a false church. Which one of you churches preaches Christ and him crucified? The faithful proclamation of every true church is Christ crucified. And as we come to the first letter to the Corinth or church at Corinth, the apostle Paul's main objective was to correct and rebuke a church who has lost sight of the message of the cross. To give us the context of 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth was a troubled church. Division was arguably the most important problem. You see, the Corinthians were divided into tribes among particular leaders. In addition to that, they were divided in their thinking. They were allowing Greek philosophy and, and humanistic wisdom to creep inside the church. They were allowing what the world says is true, what the world deems is wise, to compete with what God says is wise. 
And here the Apostle Paul writes this letter to remind these Christians at Corinth of the message of the cross. This text, saints, has much relevance for us today. For we are living in a time where the world is putting constant pressure on the church to change its message. Change the content of your message. Preach more sermons that tell jokes and tell stories. Be more user-friendly. But saints, in order for the church to be the church, in order for the church to be the church and be divided in this world, the message of a crucified Messiah must be at its very center and core. In order for the church to remain the church, the church must constantly, every Sunday, preach Christ and Him crucified. So this morning, I want us to consider the message of the cross. And we'll do that in two points. Number one, the wisdom, power, and folly of the cross. And number two, Christ and the cross. Number one, the wisdom, power, and folly of the cross. And number two, Christ and the cross. And if you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, will you please stand for the reading of God's word? We will be reading from verses 18 to 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. The Apostle Paul says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. Saints, that is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. What glorious verses we have before us this morning. Verses indeed that we can spend the rest of the year on. But let's first consider the first point, which is the wisdom, the power, and folly of the cross. The wisdom, the power, and the folly of the cross. Saints, what divides us from the world? What divides Christians from the world. In other words, what distinguishes Christians from those who oppose Christianity? Well, one can point to our belief in the triune God of Scripture. If there's anything that divides us from the world, if there's anything that divides us from the cults and others who claim to be Christians but they're not, it is that orthodox, creedal Christians believe that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons. And those three persons are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can point to the Christian's um, belief that the church is where God meets with his people. 
And the Bible is the very word of God. Some might say that what divides Christians from the world is Christians pray. And they believe that God actually hears their prayers. The world prays too, but who are they praying to? But Christians pray and they know who they're praying to. They're praying to the one God who is living. We can go on and on and speak of the distinguishing marks of what distinguishes us from the world. But in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul says what distinguishes the church from the world is this one simple thing. It is the message of the cross. This is what divides churches from churches, but also what divides the church from the world. We can tell a lot by how a person thinks, what a person is all about by asking them this one simple question. What is your opinion of the cross of Jesus Christ? How do you view the cross of Christ? And saints, we don't need to survey everyone in the world to know the answer. We don't need to ask every single person in the world, how do you view the message of the cross? For the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 18, how exactly the world views the cross. He says in verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us, it is who are being saved. It is the power of God. Here, Paul is going to contrast the message of the cross from the perspective of two individuals or two parties from the world and from Christians. How does the world view the cross and how do Christians view the cross? Saints, what is the message of the cross? How do we define the message of the cross? Well, the message of the cross is simply what Paul says in verse 23 of our text this morning. Christ crucified. That is the message of the cross. The message of the cross is the truth of the saving power of God in the atoning work of Jesus Christ at the cross. That is the message of the cross. And saints, the ironic thing is this simple message of a crucified Messiah is what divides the world from the church. And Paul in verse 18 says to us, this simple message, it is the power of God, but to the world, the word of the cross is folly. Let's consider the world's perspective of the cross. Again, the Apostle Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. That word folly literally means madness. It is madness. The word of the cross is madness to the world. It's illogical. It's craziness. It's foolishness to believe in a crucified Messiah. And in that belief, you gain access to heaven. But what makes the message of the cross folly to the world? What is it about the cross? What is it about Christ crucified that the world sees and says, that's folly? That's foolishness. It's because the message of the cross determines eternal destiny. The message of the cross determines eternal destiny. 
The world categorizes people by race, by status, by gender. But the gospel demands that we view people from the perspective of eternity. Every person will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And the deciding factor of one's eternity is how they view the message of the cross. Where you will spend a lifetime is determined by how you view the message of the cross. Saints, this truth of the world is seen as folly. It's craziness to believe that. You see, to the world, one's eternal destiny is determined by how much good they've done on this earth. The world thinks that one's eternal destiny is determined by how nice they've been to people or how much money they've given to the needy or how much of a great model citizen they've been. That's how the world determines your eternal destiny. But the message of the cross removes any notion that man can work his way to heaven. For the message of the cross screams that you cannot save yourself, that you must rely on someone else for your eternal destiny. It screams you must turn away from all of your own works and trust in the perfect work of Jesus Christ alone. And saying the sad reality is the world hears that and says that is folly. How can one event over 2,000 years ago determine my eternal destiny? That makes no sense. The saints, it is those who say that makes no sense. It is those who say that the message of the cross is folly are the ones who Paul says are perishing. That's the sad reality of those who reject the message of the cross. They are perishing. This is the destiny of every unbeliever. This is the destiny of every believer, unbeliever, that they are perishing. Eternal punishment under the righteous wrath of God is the destiny to all those who do not believe the message of the cross. I pray just like you, come Lord Jesus, come. But there are times when we don't or I don't want to pray that. Because if Christ comes, there are those who reject the message of the cross, will not reap the benefits of Christ's coming for those who are in Christ. Saints, when we consider the cross, when was the last time you considered it from the perspective of the world? Because, saints, that was your perspective one day. You used to view the message of the cross as folly, as madness, as foolishness. But notice, saints, the apostles doesn't say that those who reject the message of the cross are on the verge of perishing. Or one day in eternity, on that last and final day, they will finally perish. But they are perishing. They are currently perishing. They are passing away. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Those who believe that the message of the cross is folly in simple terms is eternally doomed. That's what's at stake if you reject the message of the cross. That's how you must preach the message of the cross to your unbelieving friends and family members and co-workers. That eternal destiny is at stake. But there is another way of looking at the cross. There is a more glorious way of looking at the cross. Let's consider the wisdom of God and the power of God. The Apostle Paul says in verse 18, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And when Paul says being saved, we want to think that Paul means that salvation is something progressive. As if there are steps or levels to your salvation. Saints, if you have repented of your sins and trusted alone in Christ alone, then you are without question justified and saved. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, then you are saved. We have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And we will always be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet at the same time, we are being saved to Christ. And what this simply means, saints, what the Apostle Paul simply means is we are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is detaching us from everything that we used to be. The Spirit of God sanctifies the people of God to look more and more like the Son of God. That is what Paul means here. To us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. The message of the cross is to those who are perishing folly. But to you, Christian, it is the power of God. We naturally associate salvation with the love of God, with the grace of God, with the mercy of God. But ultimately, salvation is about the power of God. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't merely contain power. It doesn't merely demonstrate power or execute power, but it is the very power of God. Saints, the message of the cross, and hear this, is not just another way to go to heaven in the midst of other ways. That's not the message of the cross. The message of the cross is not just another theory of philosophy. It's not just another way in the midst of other ways. But Paul wants to make it clear to these Corinthian Christians and to us as well that the message of the cross is the saving power of God to all those who believe in Christ alone it's not just another opinion it is the power of god god uses the message of the cross saints to destroy the wisdom of this world he says that paul says in verse 19 for it is written i will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discerning of the discerning i will thwart the message of the cross is not something that was jumped up 
at the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The cross is not something that was, that, that was given to the eternal son when he became incarnate. But the cross stretches back to eternity. It was the will of God from eternity past to crush his only beloved son. And the apostle Paul says, in most, in the most of arrogant forms, he has every right to be arrogant. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In a nutshell, what Paul is saying is, and what he's doing is, he's calling out all those of the day who claim to be wise. He's saying, where's all the so-called smart people at? Where are you at now? Where is the one who is wise? Where is the one who likes to debate wisdom and philosophy? God, through the message of the cross, have made all of those who claim to be wise foolish. Not look foolish. Foolish. We live in a world where the elitists of the day are those who are rich where the scientists are considered the leaders of intelligence, where the atheists and skeptics are seen as the smart people. But the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, that there is no God. And how much more are you a fool to say that there is a God, but he was not on that cross? And here, Paul says, God, through the cross has made the wisdom of this world empty foolish and worthless now it doesn't mean that people of this world can't teach us anything it doesn't mean that the world doesn't know things men can exhaustively know mathematics men can exhaustively know the ins and outs of science or the various arts but the capacity of what they can know only goes so far For Paul says in verse 21, the world did not know God through wisdom. What a glorious line that is. In other words, what Paul is saying is this, men, as smart, as wise as they think that they are, men cannot think their way to God. No one can think their way to God. You can spend a lifetime accumulating human wisdom. But your learning will not produce a true, right relationship with God. Why? Because God has eternally decreed it for it to be that way. God has designed it to be that way. Paul says in verse 21, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. It pleased God to make those who think that they are wise look foolish through the message of what they think is foolish. It is the eternal purpose of God to save those whom he wills by the message of what the world calls madness. How ironic is that? It is God and God alone who opens the eyes of those out of the world to believe what is folly and illogical. You see, saints, if the world could know God through wisdom... 
if we could know God and be reconciled to God without divine intervention, then man can take all the credit for their salvation. And that's exactly what men want. They want to have the first and final say in their salvation. Because ultimately, they want to say, I chose God. I did it on my own. I did it my way. But the Bible screams that a leopard cannot change his spots. That no man seeks after God, but God seeks after man. That is why we should never say, when I chose God, but rather it's when Christ saved me, when he opened my eyes. Again, Paul says it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And the world and what the world sees as folly saints, what the world sees as illogical, we, we see as our only hope. This message of the cross is what brought us to our knees in repentance and faith in Christ alone. This message of the cross, this folly message that the world sees as madness is seen by us as deliverance. The world calls us fools. The world calls us many names for believing the message of the cross. But God calls us wise for believing the message of the cross. And saints, as we close this point, my question I leave you with is this. What is your perspective of the message of the cross? How do you view the message of the cross? In other words, I think what Paul is saying here is, which side are you on? Are you on the world's side? Are you on God's side? Do you see the message of the cross as folly? Or do you see the message of the cross as the power of God unto salvation? Let's now consider the second point, our last point, which is Christ and the cross. Christ and the cross. Verse 22, for the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. There is no shortage today of preaching and preachers. On a given Sunday, one might hear a message on how to manage your money or how to gain victory over your enemies. Today, one might hear a message on how to figure out your spiritual calling, what your spiritual gift is, or what the will of God is for your life. But how many preachers this morning are delivering a clear message of Christ crucified? It is Christ crucified who the preacher is to preach of. Now, that doesn't mean that the preacher can't speak of other things. It doesn't mean that the preacher can't speak of the life of Abraham or the Abrahamic covenant as Pastor Antonio is so is doing so wonderfully. That it doesn't mean that a preacher can't preach from First Peter as Brother Bobby is currently doing so wonderfully. But preachers, but the preacher's preaching method is to be one like Spurgeon who said, Whenever I get hold of a text, I say to myself, There is a road from here to Jesus Christ. 
And I mean to keep on his track till I get to him. I take my text and make a beeline to the cross. Yes, we are to preach the whole counsel of God. But saints, we are to preach Christ and him crucified. That is whom we are to set forth before the congregation. Not Peter and his words. Not Abram and God's dealing with him. But ultimately, it is to lead to the foot of the cross. To Christ and him crucified. All roads must lead to the foot of the cross. Christ and him crucified is to be the main point in every sermon. Every single sermon, the main point is Christ and him crucified. And we could speak of all the benefits of that. But that is the main point. That's the message of the cross, saints. It's of Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ crucified is what Paul is saying. And there's three things that's happening here. First notice, Paul says, we preach. We preach. Preaching is the means by which God or or which people hear the message of Christ crucified. Paul sums this up in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him who have not believed? And how will they believe in him who have not been heard, have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? God uses the preached word to save unbelievers. And God uses the preached word as a means of grace to spiritually transform his people. And Paul says here, we are to preach, period. Not tell jokes, but preach. Not tell stories, but preach. He says, we are not to tell the the common motivational speeches that the contemporary church loves to hear, but we are to preach. And here, Paul uses the word preach to combat the, the signs and the wisdom that people so desperately desired. He says in verse 22, the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. The Jews demanded a sign. They demanded signs after signs. If Jesus Christ is truly God, if he is truly the son of God, then show us a sign. The problem with that is Christ showed him many signs and none wanted to believe. The Greeks seek wisdom. In other words, the Greeks sought after Truth through logic, reason, and philosophy. What does the world say is true? And and how does the Bible stack up with this truth? How does the message of the cross stack up with the wisdom of the world? Saints, the problem with that is God's wisdom and the wisdom of this world will never, ever, ever be compatible. And what Paul is saying is this. Now, we don't preach to cater towards people's Thirst for signs, evidences, or proofs. That's not who we cater towards. We don't preach to cater towards man's human reason and philosophy. When you come to this church, this church is not going to be an echo chamber of what the world says is true. But we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ. The sad reality is people have replaced the message of Christ crucified with the message of what we need in this world in order to get by. How are we to 
operate in this world in order for us to be successful. There is only one man who has ever been successful. That is Jesus Christ. And where he was successful at was on Calvary's cross. And all those who believe in him by faith alone are united to him by the spirit are successful in him. We preach Christ. Notice. He doesn't say we preach ourselves. Paul doesn't say I preach my own human thoughts or reason. But the main content of the preaching is Jesus Christ and him alone. Jesus Christ is the star of the show. He is the one whom we've woken up to hear about, to listen about. Jesus Christ is the content of what we preach, not the Christ who the world wants us to preach. Not the Christ who is the blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus. But the Christ who's revealed to us in Holy Scripture. We are to preach of the glorious person of Christ, who is the second person of the Holy Trinity. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son who assumed a true human nature, yet without sin. Saints, what an amazing condescension that is by our Savior. What an amazing stoop that is from our God to come down from such a high place to such a low place in the incarnation, heaven kissed earth, God and man met in the one person, Jesus Christ, the one who formed the first man, Adam, from the dust of the ground, takes on human flesh and walks the dust of Jerusalem. The one who was the giver of the law takes on human flesh and becomes subjected to that very law. What a wonder, saints. What a wonder, as the Puritan Stephen Charnock said, that a God upon a throne should be an infant in a cradle, the thundering creator be a weeping babe and a suffering man. What a wonder. And friends, this is the Christ. This is the one whom Paul says we are to preach. This perfect God-man. This one who was sinless, who was incapable of sinning. The one who was perfect in all the things that he did. We preach of the glorious person of Christ. But also we are to preach of the work of Christ. We are to preach of Christ's person. We are to preach of Christ's work as well. We preach Christ crucified. We don't detach the person of Christ from his work. Crucifixion was the most shameful death known upon the earth. It prolongs the death of a person in public humiliation. It was the most gruesome death ever designed by man. In which those who hang upon the cross die by suffocation as they are no longer able to pull themselves up and take up air. Not to mention, they are hung on a cross by nails. Death by crucifixion was a long and horrible way to die. But Paul says here, when he says Christ crucified, he doesn't merely mean that we are to preach of the way Christ died. That's not what he means. 
We aren't to speak of Jesus Christ and simply him dying or the method he died. But we are to speak of what his death accomplished. We don't praise a wooden cross. We praise the God who accomplished the greatest achievement ever done in the history of all history on a wooden cross. That's what Paul is referring to here. On the cross, a a great exchange took place. That the perfect righteous life of Christ is imputed to all those whom he was dying for. And the infinite sin of all those whom he was dying for is imputed to him. In other words, on the cross, we give Christ our sinful garments. And in exchange, he gives us his righteous robe. On the cross, all of the worst about us laid upon him and all of the best laid upon us. On the cross, saints. What a scandal it is to think that God treats his son as if I'm on the cross. And then he treats me as if I'm his beloved son. Spurgeon said it so provocatively, he said, when I consider the cross... I consider who's hanging on the cross. I sometimes think, is it possible that God loves me more than he loves his own son? It's not true, but it's something to think about. All of our worst was given to Christ. And all of who he is, all of his best is given to me. Jesus Christ on the cross bears the curse of the sin of all of his people. He suffers the punishment of sin under the wrath of God. Never once was he a sinner, but God treated him as a sinner. On the cross, he is mocked, laughed at, made a fool. All for what? The Apostle Paul gives us the answer in 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Why the cross? So that sinful, rebellious people who look at the cross and say madness might become the righteousness of God in Him. The cross is folly to the world, saints. It's madness to the world, but when we think of the cross, I don't know about you, but when I think of the cross, I can only say, oh, the bliss. Oh, the bliss. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in parts, but in whole. Not in part, but Christ takes all of my sin and he nails it to his cross. And I bear it no more. 
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Saints, what a glorious message that we have been given the gift to believe in the message of the cross. The message of the cross, although it's folly to the world, is freedom from sin for us. It's salvation for us. It's deliverance for us. It's reconciliation for us. It's peace with God for us. It's adoption for us. It's wisdom for us. It's the very power of God for us. In closing, saints, how then shall we live? In light of all that's been said, I have one application for you, and it's twofold. To those who are here and not of the faith, I beg of you to believe in the message of the cross. And to those who are of the faith, continue to look to Christ and remain at the foot of the cross. Let's pray.